Ephesians chapter 5, where we find ourselves, 5 verse 21. As Pastor Scott was reading his passage there in Matthew 15, I was reminded that is the passage of the very first sermon I preached, ever. I preached it here on this stage 22 years ago, that was. I hope I never hear it, because I'm sure it was awful. But I was thank- I'm thankful to have a church family who allowed me to, to do that, to preach and to watch me grow and to help me and to be very kind to me over the years in doing that. That means a lot to a, a young preacher, and you guys were kind in that, and I know you have been to others as well, so I thank you for that. Ephesians 5, we're going to finish up verses 15 to 21. We got through verse 20 last week, and so today we're just going to tackle one, one verse. But beginning in verse 15... It says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always. And for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. One of the things that we talked about last week and we're going to continue is what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? And we talked about a bunch of it last week, but today is really the the last one. But in these verses that we read, verses 15 to 21, uh, we see a few things about being filled with the Spirit and what it means. One is fellowship with other believers. We talked about that last week because it says when we, when we sing, we're doing this to each other, to admonish and to, to teach one another. And so with that comes teaching and admonishing each other. It's something that when we are filled with the Spirit, this is what then follows. This is what flows from us. Fellowship, teaching, and then of course singing and praising God through singing, something that we just par- partook in together. And the last thing we touched on last week that we see there in verse 20 is when we're filled with the Spirit, it's natural for us then to be thankful, to give, to give thanks to the Lord. This really is something that stems, a lot of our sin stems from is the fact that we're not thankful. And we're searching for more and more and more. And it's because we're not thankful for the things that we have or that God has blessed us with or the works that God is doing in our life. And as a result of that, we actually fall into into sin very often because of a lack of thanksgiving. But today we get to the, the last one. When we are filled with the Spirit, we then submit to one another out of reverence or, or fear of Christ. And like I said, it's important to note and to remember, and I, I want to keep stressing this, that this comes after being filled with the Spirit. It's, it's not something that then leads to being filled with the Spirit or, or causes the Spirit to fill us. No, this comes after being filled with the Spirit. And so this is not something that anybody can just pick up and try to do apart from being in Christ. See, that's what the world often tries to do. Maybe you have people in your family or people that you know who approach the Bible in this way or, or they treat the Bible in this way. They treat it as a manual for better living. If I do these things, then my life should be better. I should do a lot of good stuff or whatever it might be. But the problem with that is this is a manual you simply cannot live out unless you've been saved by the grace of God. It's impossible. It means nothing to you. 
All it is going to do, if you are trying to live by this word here, but you haven't trusted in Christ by faith and his grace that he, that he gives, all you are doing is adding to your burden. You're just adding to your weight that is crippling you and crushing you. You're not getting rid of anything in your life. And so this is not something that can be manufactured. It only works in Christ. And that's very important for us to remember because of how difficult verse 21 is. The other ones that we have read and went over, honestly, not very difficult for us. I don't mind getting together with people, right? I don't mind if we teach and and learn from each other. Great. I like singing. I'll sing with other people. Ooh, Thanksgiving. That reminds me of Thanksgiving, a meal. That sounds good, too. I'm willing to do that. But then we get to verse 21, and it's like, ooh, wait. I got to submit to them? Everybody? All of them. Not just some of them? All of them. Okay. That, that changes the game. That changes uh, if we, what we really want to do. And I think we would all agree that apart from Christ, this simply is an impossible task. I'm yet to find many people who like the word submission. I remember doing a, a wedding once for this couple, and they had one caveat. You do not use the word submit in the service. Don't use it anywhere. We don't like it. Uh, and, and we can't have it. I said, well, that's a problem. Uh, I don't know if you want me to do your wedding. We, we have to talk about this. But I think that's a common thought, really. At least they were being honest about it, and they really had thought about it. Uh, they knew that Scripture had required this, and so they wanted, they maybe studied it or whatever it was, and at least they were willing to say, we don't want to do this. Please don't say it. Because it is difficult, but yet this is a non-negotiable. The fact is, if you are filled with the Spirit, if you are a Christian this morning, then a result of being filled with the Spirit is we then submit to one another. You remember Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, and this is something that is talked about uh, quite often, he says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The question is, what does it mean to grieve the Holy Spirit? My answer to you would be verses 15 through 21 of Ephesians 5. If you do not do these things, you are grieving the Holy Spirit. Because this is the result of being Spirit-filled. If you are spirit-filled, then this is what you are going to do. This is how you are going to act. This is how you are going to respond to people. So you say, Pastor, what, what happens? You know, if I, how do I then grieve the Spirit? I can tell you one way. Don't submit to each other. Live a life that's not thankful. Right? Don't praise God. Don't worship Him. Right? All these things is grieving the Spirit. And so when we live in a way that is not willing to submit to each other, we grieve the Spirit. Our section today kind of connects chapter 5 of what we've read so far, and it's going to jump us into what we'll be looking at for the next few weeks. Because he, he says here, submitting to one another reverence for Christ, and if you know the rest of Ephesians here, he's going to talk about marriage, he's going to talk about parenting, and he's going to talk about working. And he's going to talk about submission in all of those areas. And so it's a, jumping, it's a jumping off point into where we're going to go. But it's also connecting the whole being filled with the Spirit thing. 
So that in the next few weeks, when we start talking about submission in some different areas, and I tell you, you need to submit to your boss. That's what you do as a Christian. When you look at me and you say, Pastor, I, I don't think that's right, blah, blah, blah. It's, if you're filled with the Spirit, remember? This is what we then do. This is what flows out of it. And so when we look at this, verse 21, I think the correct question would be, what does Paul mean by we should be submitting to each other? This is mentioned in a lot of other places in Scripture. I'll, I'll read three of them for you. First uh, Peter chapter 5, verse 5 says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Paul says again in Romans chapter 12, verse 10, Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 through 4, this might be one of the more popular ones, and we're going to read more of Philippians at the end. He says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. This idea of submitting to each other, of killing self and being willing to put others before ourselves, this idea seems to come up very often in the writings of Paul, of Peter, of John as well. And with this much time and emphasis in the New Testament and this much importance being placed on putting others in the church before ourselves, I do think it's something that we, we must take notice. We must look at it and say, man, this seems to be very repetitive. Maybe this is something we should key in on. Maybe, maybe there's something to this. Now I remind you, as we've already talked about, remember, this can only be done by the church. This is done by Christians with each other. This is not a task that can be done by just anybody. It doesn't work that way. If you've ever played a sport, you'll know one of the hardest things in a team sport is team unity. It's so difficult. And I would say today it's more difficult than ever before. Than ever before. Because everybody wants theirs. Everybody wants theirs. And so when you're trying to work together as a team and you're trying to formulate plans and different things and as a coach you're analyzing, well, who can do this and who can do that? You start to figure that out. And then you play your first game and you find out the parents all think something very different. I think that my kid should be doing this. I think this should happen. And what, what, what really is happening there? They want their child to be, to be first. To be first in line. They don't like that they're third on the team or fourth on the team. And you're like, well, look, there's great value in what they're doing. Do you understand that? There's more value if they put the ball in the hole. I don't want them passing to the person who's putting the ball in the hole. I want them to put the ball in the hole because that's who gets their picture in the paper. Right there, there's, I want this. And it, it's a, it is a great struggle. And we see that. And it's hard to talk about that because when I'm coaching a team, I can't look at that parent and say, aren't we bonded in Christ? Because they're not. They're not. 
But when we gather together as the church, when we're a part of a local church, the body of Christ that God has put us with, this then is our rallying cry. Brothers and sisters, we are united in Christ and nothing else. This is what brings us here together. Let's remember that. And because of that, we then submit to each other. We as believers actually have the ability, because of the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, to live differently than the world. This is how we look different from the world today. Is selfishness should not be a part of our life, especially when it comes to the church. And so this means laying yourself aside. One of the people I really leaned on in this passage is Martin Lloyd-Jones, uh, his commentary on this. And so I want to make sure I, I say that because he has a, a great deal to say uh, on this subject. He actually was a doctor. Not one of the fake doctors like we see a lot today who get handed a doctorate because they give money or whatever it might be or they're famous now. Here's your doctorate. He was a doctor and not a doctor in theology. He was a doctor who works on your body. And it's always interesting to hear his insights into different things when he's teaching scripture. And it's why I like his teaching here. This word here is a picture of submitting, is a picture of a soldier falling under its officer. I've never been in that position before, but I, I, I think I understand what's being said here. When you give yourself to the United States military, you are not yourself anymore. It's kind of you don't own yourself anymore. Your officer is going to tell you when you wake up. Your officer is going to tell you when you go on vacation. They're going to tell you when you eat. They're going to tell you when you sleep. They are going to absolutely tell you everything that you do all the time. This is submission. They submit themselves to the officer. And as a soldier, what they want to get out of you is they want you to understand that the whole is much more important than you. That the whole, what happens here in this army, in this country, is more important than just, than just you. And you need to be willing to lay yourself aside for the betterment of this unit, of this army, of this military, of this country. This is what our soldiers sign up to, and this is what is being declared here by Paul. What Lloyd-Jones puts out, what he said, uh, he said, as Christians, we must voluntarily do what the soldier is forced to do. The soldier is forced to wake up at a certain time, forced to do these different things. But as a Christian saved by God's grace and being filled with the Spirit, we now voluntarily give up our rights to each other. I give you my rights. You are more important than me. I become more important than you. We share in this together, but this is where we start to struggle, don't we? This is where the struggle lies. If any sin has crept into the church more than another, it has to be this, right? Selfishness. This was a hard one for me to write this because I think this is my biography. As I go through what I'm about to go through, it felt like my biography thinking of my life and all these different things and areas where God has been working and where it hurts, you know, them roots being pulled out from deep of sin and struggle. 
And so Lloyd-Jones talks about this kind of clinically, and he speaks of it in a negative way. And so we'll do that, and then we'll get to the positive. But he says, first of all, most people do not think before they speak. Most people do not think before they speak. Now, he was writing this a long time ago, yet it still rings true. And it's interesting because as Christians, in verse 15, if you remember, Paul tells us there, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Now, in order to be wise, you're one who thinks. But he says most people do not think before they speak. Their natural instinct is to just let it out. However they feel. Whatever the moment is doing. And so they just say He goes on, though, then to say, when we think, it causes us to realize our own selfishness. A lot of people don't want to think because when we start to think, we realize what we first thought probably is very selfish. It's probably, in fact, very wrong. We become so selfish in our nature that what we do is we start to act like animals. We just become instinctively selfish. I've never seen a squirrel in the woods grab a nut and say, I got this for you. They got it for themselves. Why? Because they are wired to care about their own makeup. The squirrel is driven to survive and live. And this seems like how we act when it comes to our selfishness. It's like it is a survival instinct that that kicks in. But when we start to actively think before we speak, we realize this about ourselves. We realize how individualistic we've become. That if we were that soldier in the military, our unit would be in trouble because of how individualistic we are. I know it's my job to advance forward, but that's the scariest thing to do. Yeah, but I need you to go do it. (laughs) Let him do it. I'd rather be behind in the bunker. Let him go. See, speaking, because it benefits us there. You see, the devil knew this about us long ago. Even in the garden, when he went after Adam and Eve and tempted them, this is how he tempted them. He used their own selfishness against them. God is hiding something from you. You deserve to know this. You deserve to have this. And what happened? Instinct kicked in. I do. I do. Give it to me. Right? Give it to me now. It reminds me, this was a common saying in my household growing up. Maybe you'll remember this reference or not. But my parents, whenever we were being selfish, would call us Veruca Salt. Do you know where that name comes from? From Willy Wonka. That little girl who just wanted the goose with the golden egg, and she wanted that one. Even though her dad said, we'll get you one when we leave. I want that one. I want it right now. And then she sings this song. You remember what happened? She was a bad egg. She stood on that thing, the doors opened, and she went to the incinerator. That's what Willy Wonka said. And her dad followed her right behind. We laugh at that. But I remember as a kid thinking, I am kind of acting like that. I remember that actually working in my life. I don't want to look like her. She's a spoiled brat. She drove me crazy. I was glad she went to the incinerator as a kid. And now my mom is calling me Veruca Salt. Am I really acting like that? The answer is easy. Yes. Yes, I, yes, I was. And yes, I, I still do. My selfishness so often causes all of my decisions. Lloyd-Jones points out 
This is what caused two world wars. Selfishness. Individuals wanting their way. I would dare say, within your family, there are wars taking place, and it's because of this selfishness. Nobody's willing to lay themselves down for the other person. You've got two bulls, just buttonheads over and over again. Over and over again. And nobody will give up. Why? Because of pride. Because of a lack of humility that overruns them. When this happens, the process keeps rolling out. What happens is we become too opinionated then. And you need to know that there's a difference between having an opinion and one who is opinionated. Like Jones says this well, and I quote from his book, he said, what a difference there is between a man who has opinions, good opinions, strong opinions, and the man who is opinionated, self-conscious and proud of his opinions. We must never be opinionated because that again is another manifestation of self. The opinionated man is much more interested in the fact that he believes than in what he believes. He is always looking at himself. He parades his beliefs. The way in which he does so, of course, always betrays the man. He shows that he is proud of his knowledge. That is because he really does not understand the subject about which he knows a little. If he did, it would humble him. But he is not really interested in truth. He's interested in his relationship to it, his knowledge of it. Opinionated people always cause clashes. I'll give you an example. I like to think I know a lot about basketball. It's something I've loved for a very long time. It's something I enjoy. It's always been a passion of mine. And it doesn't take me very long to talk to somebody else and to gauge how well they know the game. And I have found that sometimes you get somebody who comes up to you and they know very little about the game, but they want to act like they know a lot about the game. Can I tell you what I never do? I never have a discussion with that person. I don't. And why? the reason I would say that is this. I feel like knowing a lot about it or more about it than this person has humbled me in a way to say it's not worth getting into this conversation with this person. It's only going to lead to a disagreement. I don't need to put myself out there at this moment to show them I'm a lot smarter than you with this, so just shut up, please. That's what an opinionated person does. But a person with good, strong opinions knows now is not the time. We shouldn't be acting like that. And so we have to be careful with this because good opinions are important. Maybe you know this in your life. There might be people in your life who come up to you and they love to share their opinion with you about whatever you're doing. And you'll listen, but you don't take much with it. But there's certain people in your life, when they share their opinion, you listen. Why? They've earned that. You know their opinion is true, that it's strong, that it's been well thought out, and that it, they're actually giving it to you because they care about you. They care about you. And so people with opinions are important. But when we become selfish, when we become self-absorbed, we then become opinionated. I know I harp on this a lot. This could be the tagline of social media. Those who are opinionated, please join. I mean, that's what's happening. Well, when this happens, as we let the opinions flow out of us and we become opinionated, the next natural tendency is we become dictators. 
We love to lord ourselves over other people. Leaders especially fall prey to this. Leaders within the church and even leaders outside of the church. And Peter actually has to address this with the church because he knows this is happening. And so 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1 through 3, Peter is writing to the leaders, the pastors, the elders of the church. And notice what he says. He says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercise oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but, be, but being examples to the flock. You see, that's a tendency, like I said, of leaders to start lording it over. And leaders have to be careful with that, but we all have to be careful of that. Even as parents, as we try to raise our kids and love on our kids, we can start to become their Lord. And we lord stuff over them all the time. But yet in this passage, when it talks about submitting to one another... As believers, if your child's a believer, guess what? You submit to them too, just like they submit to you. Out of reverence for Christ. Out of fear of the Lord. And so we have to be careful as we walk this process, as we get deeper and deeper in selfishness, where we can see those tendencies in ourselves, where it seems as if we are becoming a dictator Lloyd-Jones brings this out even more. He says, when we become self-seeking, we start to get to this point. What happens is we start to have no time for other people. Our schedule is just so much busier than everybody else's. You see, this is the life of a dictator. It's conformed to me. My schedule is more important than everybody else's. We get so outraged when they take our parking spot. Do they not know that that's my parking spot? No, the person at Meyer didn't know that. They didn't know you had your eye on the prize and that you had already claimed it. We start to get angry that they called their name for a table before ours and we were here first. This happens to me and Amanda all the time. I feel like we're invisible. Uh, Table for two, yes. 40 minutes later, another couple walks in. Table for two, yeah, right here. What the? I've been here for 40 minutes. You talk about frustrating. What makes them so special? We're just sitting here quietly. We want to to eat. For something that silly. I mean, really, my blood will boil. But when I sit and think about it, really think about it, what a selfishness in me to even care. What's the big deal? So they sat down first. I'm not going to starve to death. I got plenty of reserves. Plenty. We get furious that our line is moving slower than the other one. We look around. I don't know if you guys do this, but I sure do. I look. Who is even with me? That guy. If he gets out before me, I picked the wrong line. I'm... What are you doing? And I look. No, I'm, and this is just being serious. And I hope you, I, I'm, I'm guessing you see yourself in it. I'm just talking furious. I am so enraged. Do they not know what I have to do? I still have to go pick up my kids. I got to get back to church. I got to go pick up my other kids. And then I got to get to practice. And then I got to go get my kids to their practice. Do they not understand that I need, I need to go? And then I look at the poor little lady who's about 80 years old checking me out. 
doing the cash register the best she can, trying to be nice and polite to the people that she's talking to, and all I have been, been doing has been filled with rage. What selfishness. Acting like a dictator, as if I own this world and the world needs to bow down to me. Paul actually has to address this with the church in Corinth because this is the struggle that they were dealing with. Too many people within the church thought that they were important, so important that they were determining who could have Lord's Supper and who couldn't and at what times. I know some of the examples that I gave, I was talking about things outside of these walls, outside of the church. But I definitely hear the same sort of stuff within the church. And not just ours, I talk to other pastors, it's the same things all the time. And we like to joke about it as Baptists, like, oh, they took my seat and all this stuff, but that stuff is real. And it does show deep-rooted sin in our life of selfishness, of great, great selfishness that lives within our heart when we are called to do the opposite. But then the last step that Lloyd-Jones has He says, we become so focused on ourselves that we hate criticism of any sort. And we become impatient with all other opinions and views. We really just wish that everybody else would stop talking and listen to me. I have the answer. If they would just listen to me, everything would work out better. Do you not see that? Do you not understand that? We're so self-absorbed that we're too petty even to show care for other people. Yes, I know he's broken down on the side of the road, but number one, he might hurt me, and number two, I'm in a hurry. Me, me, before he. This has become the norm. It's become the norm outside of these walls. It's become the norm oftentimes inside of the walls. This leads to us being so weak as an individual that we're not willing to let others into our life in any real way. We're so self-absorbed that we are scared to death to think about letting somebody else in. What will they think? What will they do? Will they try to change me? What is going to happen? You know what's better? Let's just stay home. Let's just not deal with it. That really is a sign of great selfishness and great pride. Lloyd-Jones says, this is the last quote I'll get from him. He says, look at this picture of the person. Selfish, self-centered, opinionated, tending to be a dictator, hypersensitive. What happens next? The next thing is that he's always threatening resignation. He feels that he is being curied, that people do not trust him, that they are not doing what he says or appreciating what he thinks. It's unfair. So he's going out. He's going to resign. The apostle is writing about church life, and he says, you must not be like that. You will make havoc of the church if you are like that. And if you are always walking out That, then, is the negative way of interpreting the words, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of Christ. I think it puts it pretty plain. You don't like what I do, Pastor? I'm taking my ball. I'm going home. 
I'm taking my ball then. What you gonna do then? Okay. I just gotta be honest with you. If you ever come to me with something like that, and if it's not like a serious thing, if, it, if it's not something theological or where we're going astray, I'm really bad at this. Here's the door. I love you. I want you to be here. I honestly can't tell you of a better place to go. I think the best thing for you is to be here under the teaching of the word of God here. I really do. And my heart's desire is for you to be here and other people that we know to be here. But I'm not very good at begging. I'm not. And if you're like, Pastor, I just don't like this. I don't like the color of this. I don't like the way this is happening. I can't believe the parking lot wasn't plowed this morning. You're probably going to see me say, sorry. Well, aren't you going to say anything back? No. If you've got to this point and you're ready to resign, so be it. I can't change your mind. I can't change your attitude. I can't change your heart. I, I believe Being filled with the Spirit is what changes that. I can't do that. If being united to me in Christ and these fellow believers in Christ is not enough, then I don't have anything else for you. See, we have to make sure that we do this the positive way of what Paul is talking about, where we put others and the good of the church before ourselves. Remember, I said I was writing my biography. This is on me. As those saved by God's grace, we are to live totally opposite of what we've been looking at so far this morning. We give way for others always. And again, remember, this is within the confines of the local body of believers. Those saved by God's grace. I'm not telling you at work you are going to be unified like this. But I am telling you that here we should be unified in Christ always. James 1, 19-21. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Meekness, humility, long-suffering. These are the things that we are called to do with each other. And we have to remember this in our relationship with the church, with each other. And I, and I do need to caveat this. Those who are true to the doctrines that we hold. I'm not talking about some unity that I don't believe that can exist with all the churches in Monroe County. I get invited to that stuff. I do. And I throw it away. I'm sorry, I just can't stand in unity with you in Christ when you deny the deity of Christ. I can't stand in unity with you in Christ as a church, because that's kind of what we're saying, when you don't hold to the foundational truths of the Protestant faith, of the Trinity, of the virgin birth, of justification is by grace, through faith alone. I can't stand with you then in Christ I can stand with you as a fellow citizen against something, absolutely. But if you're telling me we're coming together as the church is being unified, I can't do that. And so there are some who would point a finger at me and say, you are not obeying Ephesians 5.21. And I would say, you don't know what that means, obviously. 
you forgot to read chapters one through three of that book. Because we are only united in Christ and you guys don't serve the Christ that we're talking about here. And so while it's a good cause that you're fighting for, and while I might be at your rally as a citizen of Monroe County, that is great. I can't stand as the pastor of Monroe Missionary Baptist Church and be united with you in this. I don't think that's right. But when we come together unified on who Christ is, unified on the work that he has accomplished on the cross, which all of us as members in this church should be unified on, well, that changes things. Now, I submit myself to you fully. You are more important than me. When you hurt, I hurt. When you have joy, I have joy. When you're in need, I want to try to fill that need. I want to try to meet that need. Regardless of my schedule, regardless of what it may be, I want to love you well. And so, yet, as we do this together, as those who believe the same thing about Jesus, yes, I know we become vulnerable to each other. Absolutely. Yes, I know that you will hurt me sometimes, and I, in fact, will probably hurt you sometimes. Yes. Yes, our pride might take a hit. But as we do this faithfully, as we live out what the Spirit has filled us to do, as we do this, we will prove to this world the great work that Jesus has done for us. We will prove to them that he is true and that he is real. We will live differently than the rest of the world. And this is how they will take notice. The most countercultural thing in the world that you can do, and I hear that phrase all the time in church life, countercultural, counter, the most countercultural thing you can do, stop thinking about yourself all the time and love your church family well. Love each other with a great passion. I know, again, this, is, this kind of steps aside, and it, I know this plays out in different ways. But the bond that we have here in this family is much deeper than the bond you have in your personal family. The blood that you guys have running through your veins as family members is a tight bond, and you love that. But the blood of Christ bonds us much more together. It does. And so there are times when I'm going to have to tell my family, I know, but I need to go help my church family. I need to be with them. I need to care for them now. And hopefully my family, those who are saved by God's grace, will say, yes, you do. Because they're going to put themselves behind whoever it is we're trying to help, trying to be there for. This is the countercultural thing that the world will take notice to. Everything out there is about yourself, while everything in here is about him and what he has done and how now he has brought us together as the body of Christ to care for each other. To close, our, our motivation for this, to me, is pretty simple. He says you submit to one another. How, why? Out of reverence for Christ or out of fear of Christ. It's amazing to think that we even need motivation, but it's absolutely astounding to think that Jesus is our motivation. The work that he's done, the way that he submitted himself, causes us to then to submit to each other. You remember, I read Philippians 
chapter 2, verse 1 through 4, where it tells us to submit to each other, to look at, he says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. But then he goes on to say this in verses 5 through 8. Well, that, that part of that was five. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. What is my motivation to love you? The simple fact that Jesus loved me even in the depths of my sin. My wickedness, my rebellion to him, even in the depths of that, Jesus would, would, would empty himself by, by taking on flesh as a man on this earth that I walk on. He would walk on this earth, bear every temptation, everything would be thrown at him. Satan himself would tempt him and try to get him to turn. And he didn't have to do any of this, but yet Jesus kept going. Why? To be obedient to the Father, it says. He emptied himself. He humbled himself. Why? So that I could have a relationship with God. Nothing for him. For me. And for the church. For you. And so what should motivate me every day to get up and to love you? The love that Christ has poured out on me. And what should motivate you to love me and to love each other? That same Jesus. Listen, we're going to get on each other's nerves. We're all going to have different preferences. We're all going to have different problems, different kinds of weeks. Some of you have a lot of money. Some of you don't have a lot of money. Some of you have difficulties with your health. Some of you don't. There's all kinds of things that go on here. But what we're united on is the love that Jesus has shed on us. We sang that song before I came up here. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. That, that's, what, that's what unites us. That's why when you slip and you say something bad to me, I still love you. It's okay. It's not about me. I hope it's the same when I slip and mess up. I still love him. He's pretty dumb, but I love him still. Because God loves him. Because Jesus loves him. And he's a part of this body that I'm a part of. And I'm not going to be selfish. I'm not going to take my ball and go home. No, we're, gonna be, we're in this together because this is what God has called us to and this is how the world takes notice of the truth of the gospel. When we love each other, how Christ has loved us. Let's bow together and let's pray. As always, this is a time for you to respond to the word of God. I hope that you will. I find it hard to believe that any of us in here don't have something to go before God after talking about submission to say, God, forgive me. I know I sure do. Let's pray. God, you give us a task here that seems impossible, but 
God, I'm reminded that this isn't a task to earn anything. This is a result of being filled with the Spirit. You have enabled us as your church with the ability, with the strength to be able to love each other. And so God, help us as individuals in here to be willing to kill our pride, to be willing to be humbled. Help us to be willing to be vulnerable to each other. Help us to submit to each other. God, you've given us a very blanket statement that all of us submit to each other. Yes, you're going to go on and talk about it in some different areas of life, but the baseline, the first thing, God, you have called me to submit to my church family. At times, it can be a difficult task time-wise or money-wise or whatever it might be, emotionally. But God, it's what you've called us to, and it's good for us. And so, God, I ask that you would help us to try to make sure, again, as individuals, that we are submitting ourselves to our fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord here. Paul wrote this letter to an individual church, and it was to be read at under other individual churches, local churches. And we have the privilege of having that with us today. And so as this local church, I pray that we would be a place where people know that there is fellowship here, and there is unity here. But our unity isn't because of the pastor, or because of the building, or because even of a, some cause. Our our unity is based solely in the accomplished work of Jesus. And that is our motivation every single day to get up and do it again. That is our motivation to call somebody who we haven't seen who might be sick, to reach out, to make a meal, to give a hug, to have a conversation with, to buy dinner or whatever it might be. God, help us to love each other how we are supposed to. We live in a world that is so difficult, so filled with sin and suffering and pain. God, you've given us a church family who loves us, who walks with us through the difficulty, through the pain. And so, God, I, I thank you for that. God, I thank you for the many times I've experienced in my life love from Monroe Missionary Baptist Church members. Maybe it's just a, a note of encouragement I remember not too long ago, it was, a, it was an email, just a simple email from somebody. How much that, that meant to me that they took time to write that email of just simple encouragement to me. I thank you for that. God, that's a blessing from you to give me a church family who loves me and cares for me. And so, God, I pray that we would do that well amongst our whole congregation. Because, God, that really is countercultural. That is so different than how the world operates. And so, God, as we, we do that, I pray that people would take notice. That we'd be sharing with people the reason we live this way is because of the good news of the gospel. Because of Jesus and what he has done for us. And apart from that, it would be impossible. God, we love you. We want to honor you with our life. We thank you that you saved us in the depth of our sin and now you enable us to be able to live this life of fellowship, of teaching, of singing, of praising your name, of thanksgiving, and of submission to each other. We love you. God, as we sing this song now, help us to praise you 
and you alone we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.